back to UWF The Final Year, Episode 5. I am your host, Stephen Coriander. Yes, my random wrestling review alias has made its way over to Pro Wrestling Moments. Now, speaking of the random wrestling review, if there's nothing you enjoy more in your life than listening to my voice, and I can't blame you if that is the reality, you may or may not know that I am guesting on that show once a month now, and we're currently all the way through to WrestleMania 18, in um, a series covering every WrestleMania in history. And I'm on about half of those. Uh, and the rest of the crew are excellent as well. I won't say even better than me, but equally good. So you've got Ben, you've got Tom, you've got Sam, you've got Alex. You've got Matt, whose name I inexplicably left out when I first recorded this winged intro. Uh, all of the guys are excellent. Slightly more adult version of a podcast than uh, you get here on Pro Wrestling Moments. So maybe not one to listen to in front of your children. Um, but head on over there. You can find them RWR Pod UK on Twitter or search Random Wrestling Review wherever you listen to podcasts. They've got a huge, huge archive um, of past shows. You've got SummerSlam 92, one I was on that was great fun. Armageddon 99, a truly dreadful pay-per-view. So head on over there, check them out. So today... Back to the UWF. We've got a slightly different episode for you today. Unfortunately, sometimes when you're running a multi-million pound podcast empire like I am, you do have behind the scenes some administrative difficulties. Now, that is a tough word to say. And as such, the original plan is not coming to unfortunately. But stick with me because it's a whole lot of fun to come. So what we've got is we've got the last two episodes um, of the UWF that was under Watt's control from April the 11th, 1987 and April the 25th. I want to whiz through those, um, air some of the promos, all that good stuff. And then Mark Dunderdale will be joining me for the 2nd of May, 1987 episode. And it's fair to say that the world's about to be shaken up a bit because this is post-Watt's, this Crockett era UWF. And it is coming very, very soon. So why don't we go through this first episode um, quickly and some of the highlights. So I'll throw over to Michael Hayes, first of all, in the unfamiliar uh, role as Babyface, cutting a promo on Skandar Akbar. Let's see just how offensive Michael Hayes can be. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Universal Wrestling Federation. Just seen footage of last week's situation involving Chavo Guerrero and Gary Young. We'll talk more about that in the hour. Hello again, everybody. Jim Ross along with Michael PSA. Thank you very much for being with us. We have a tremendous hour in store for you. Terry Taylor and gentlemen Chris Adams, the tag team champions, will be with us. We'll see Chavo Guerrero in action. Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Steve Cox and Sensational Rookie will be here, and Terry Gordy will wrestle, a member of Devastation Incorporated, in this hour. You know something, Jim Ross? A couple of weeks ago, Skander Akbar came out and he said, I don't like y'all stinking American music. I don't like your stinking face. Well, let me tell you something. I don't like your stinking breath. There we go. And now, now you see that the Bam Bam Bammer is back, Jack. And any time you or your men want to walk down Bad Street, you can try it just like tonight. And if you don't like this stinking American country, as you put it, why don't you get your stinking butt out of here and don't let the door hit you on the way out. So there we go. Michael Hayes not mincing his words as ever there. Um... Yeah, that was, uh, I'm not sure that was quite 10 out of 10 on the Michael Hayes offence-ometer, but, you know, somewhere middling to high, as always. Um, so just running through some of the highlights, um, there's some ongoing storylines here. We've got Chavo Guerrero's 
uh, feud with Gary Young, um, which I must be honest, I'm not into at all. We've also got the follow up on Terry Taylor not being able to make a title defense last week because he'd missed a plane and how brave Adams had been going it alone. And the tag team champions, they beat um, Mike George and Mike Boyette pretty easily in three minutes and 24 seconds, even though Adams did quite a lot of uh, selling during that. Um, they also talked about, uh, Ross talked about going to the Omni for the first time. Their first ever shot at the Atlanta Omni, a Crockett stronghold. So yeah, as we talked about with Eric and on past shows, they were really ramping up their touring uh, by this point. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so these, these shows happen, but obviously not under the under the Watts um, umbrella eventually. Um, Super Ninja and his action against Chavo Guerrero. Super Ninja looked like he'd done both hamstrings, pulled all the groins. Basically, he probably he looked in this match like I feel today after 36 holes of golf yesterday. Now, you might think 36 holes of golf, you know, golf's a pretty easy sport. Well, I'll tell you something else. May time in the United Kingdom, we've had a lot of rain. It was like a quagmire, like a cow pat field, trying to walk through these golf holes, eight and a half hours out there, over 20,000 steps, over 20 kilometers, and I'm feeling in a world of pain today. Uh, what else did we have? We got Bruce Pritchard interviewing Sam Houston. Why don't we hear um, a little bit from Mr. Sam Houston? Behold the beer belly. 50 million Americans need a shortcut to get from fat to flat. Introducing the Gut Buster. It's the ultimate fitness machine specifically designed to firm and flatten the stomach as nothing else can. And ladies, if you're as serious as he is, that flat stomach you had in high school can be yours again. Basic spring-ups like these work the upper abdominal region. Reverse for tension-assisted high-risers. This sturdy unit travels easily, so you can exercise anywhere. And it's yours with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So go ahead, Gutbusters. If you're serious about a flat stomach, exercise your right to call toll-free now. To order, call 1-800-453-3599. That's 1-800-453-3599. Use your credit card to avoid COD charges. Or send check or money order for $19.95 plus $3 shipping and handling to The Gutbuster, Box 60, Department E, Los Angeles, California. That toll-free number again is 1-800-453-3599. Thank the bonus gut buster advert you never knew you needed. Federation, the UWF has had a tremendous influx of talent. And one of those talented young men that is coming to the Universal Wrestling Federation is Sam Houston. And Sam, talking to you a little bit earlier, I know that you've held titles all across the country. And here in the UWF, you're gunning for one title in particular, the Universal Wrestling Federation TV title. And right now, that belt is held by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. You know, you're definitely right when you say that. Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert... You are the new TV, te uh, the television champion. Hot stuff, I ain't gonna say what, how you won the belt and was right or wrong, cause that's none of my business. But I will tell you this, if you will put your name on a dotted line, that TV title up there with my name on the other side, I know down deep in my heart, brother, that I can whip you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have to forgive me for a minute because my voice is kinda, kinda frazzled. That's a good word, you know, and I've been Very proud of himself of Frazzled. And really trying to make a name for myself. I ain't back down from nobody in my wrestling career, and I ain't about to start right now. So I'm going to tell you something, Hot Stuff. Anytime you want to get in the ring with me, I'll be more than ready. Matter of fact, if you want to get in tonight, I'll be ready to get in the ring with you tonight. Now, Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, I got some other things to say, too. And you run your mouth and you talk about this and that and what you're going to do to me and everything else. I've heard some of your interviews about me, and it's fine and dandy. Well, brother... When you lace your boots up and you get in that ring and you're standing there staring at Sam Houston, you're going to know something. You're going to know that you're in trouble because I'm going to tell you what, son, I'm going to whip you. 
I'm going to whip you bad. I'm going to take the title away from you. Because you see, Eddie Gilbert, I've held titles before. And all I want is that chance. All I want is that chance to get in the ring with you and to beat, to beat you and carry that UWF television title around on my waist and show the UWF fans that I am capable of becoming a champion in the UWF. Not just everywhere, but in the UWF. And I'm gunning for you, Gilbert. Well, it's pretty long from Houston. Uh, definitely 30 seconds more than it needs to be. Right. In terms of the best thing on these two shows, these two opening shows, it was by far this segment, albeit, well, we'll get there to the payoff. So in ring, we came back from break from this particular interview. We had uh, Pritchard in the ring with Hot Stuff International, Sting, Eddie and Ice Ranking Parsons. Eddie said they just started. Everyone had said for two years that he would fall on his face, but he's still there and he's still number one in the UWF. Um, Iceman said some really questionable things about Savannah Jack, uh, but he was wearing a really nice Corona beer long sleeve T-shirt. And also, as I found out a little bit later on, trousers as well, a full on Corona tracksuit. Uh, Corona tracksuit post pandemic is probably not as fun as it was in 1987. Anyway, we move on. Um, basically, Eddie said there was one more detail he had to cover that, that people said he wasn't a true champion and that he cheated to win the belt. And loads of people shouted, you did, or he did at that point. Um, he added he wanted to go on record, say he was willing to defend the title against anybody and issued an open challenge. At that point, Ken Mantell, his excellent slick down French crop, headed to ringside. Uh, and he got on the microphone and said he'd heard what Eddie had said. And Eddie added that he, the caveat that he would only defend the title against someone right there and then, but as long as they were in the top 10 UWF rankings. Um, they agreed that Ken would pick the person, and he said that Eddie would have to defend the title during this show against Sting, and the crowd erupted for this. They erupted. And this is a real sign in wrestling where, you know, perhaps you're perhaps you're going a certain direction, then a crowd kind of should make you think again. Um, because later in the show, um, when you know, after a few other segments that are probably not worth really touching on. Um, they got into this, Sting came out, good reaction. But then he said that he couldn't believe that the fans and Kenny Mantell thought that Sting was going to go up his, against his friend Eddie Gilbert. He'd been through thick and thin with him. Um, he won a tag team championship and he was going to win another one with Steiner. So they basically really baited and switched it. So we'll, we'll, we'll you know, well, we know we know where Sting eventually gets to in, in, uh, in Crockett, but not so much pre- the end of this year. So it's interesting that I thought um, that this was really the time for the, the, the full-on babyface turn. In the end, Sam Houston came out and challenged Eddie Gilbert and he pinned him in two minutes and 14 seconds. Um, but they basically said, you know, this wasn't for the title because it hadn't been sort of pre-agreed that it was going to be for uh, the championship. So a very disappointing end to what was shaping up to be an excellent show-long storyline. So moving on to the April 25th show, the key parts of this show were centering around Terry Taylor and Chris Adams. There's a match, Gary Young versus Terry Taylor. Um, and this, again, this is the, the last uh, the last episode that aired that was taped prior to the sale. So Taylor went for the figure four in about two minutes, but Sting and Scott Steiner rang out for the... Uh, crikey, that was a good bit of, uh, good bit of relaying what happened. Taylor went for the figure four in about two minutes and Sting and Scott Steiner ran out for the DQ win. For Taylor ran in is what I was trying to say, third time lucky. Um, Taylor actually managed a nifty forward roll out of the ring and escaped untouched. Uh, Ross then threw to a segment with Chris Adams, which he called Bizarre. Uh, Pritchard was shown backstage with Adams and he was talking again about what he'd been through. Adams said he was honoured that he could do a public announcement. He said he wanted to convey his, his mistakes to other people so they wouldn't do the same. He said alcohol was just as much of a drug as any other and he actually named on air cocaine and pot 
do you want your children to know what these drugs are at Saturday lunchtime? I'm not sure I do. Um, he then added that everyone likes a drink. Um, everyone likes that last drink as well, don't they? Don't we just? Uh, thankfully, he was then beaten up by Scott Steiner and Sting, uh, perhaps because they really all really liked all the things that Steiner was running down, or perhaps not. I got that completely wrong. Perhaps they beat him up because they really liked all the things that Adams was running down. Um, but yeah, so that's that's part of the ongoing story with Terry Taylor uh, and Chris Adams. Um, so why don't we cut to the people in questions? Um, just as, as I'm re-watching some of the 25th of April show, they talk about Mike Boyett's uh, win-loss record and Jim Ross takes great pleasure in announcing that Mike Boyett had never won a match in the UWF. So let's hear from our tag team champions now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing here with one of the premier tag teams in the entire wrestling community today. It is Terry Taylor, gentlemen, Chris Adams, and gentlemen, it is a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Bruce, and it's a pleasure to be here. You know something, you people, I told you some time ago that I would try and convey messages to you from the mistakes I've learned in life. And one of the major mistakes that I've learned is to never, never give in. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard things seem at the time, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And you know what? That was exactly the same way that I felt when I was in the ring right here in Tulsa against Iceman King Parsons and that low-life sting. Now, you know, they said, well, your tag team partner isn't here. You've got to just give them the belts. No way. No way would I ever give you the belt. So you see, I thought, well, I have faith in my mate and my tag team partner, Terry Taylor. And I knew that you would come through in time. And Terry, I have to officially thank you for saving me. You don't have to officially thank me for anything. I have to thank a guy like this who went out there and wrestled two guys at once. He jumped at the chance. Now, if it would have been me, I might have had to think about it a little bit. Just kidding. I would have been there. Don't worry. There's a lot of things going on in the Universal Wrestling Federation, Power Pro Wrestling. Chris and I feel like we're the tag team of the 80s. We're moving forward. Sometimes you have a few setbacks, but it's like he said, the hard times don't last, and the hard time and hard people do. But we know we got our work cut out for us. We have a lot of things going. We're still tagging together, sometimes maybe wrestling single. We're looking forward to tag titles, single titles. It doesn't matter. 1980 is going to be an exciting year for the Universal Wrestling Federation, Power Pro Wrestling. We're going places, and we just feel like Chris and I are going to be a big, big part of that. Right, brother? Yeah, right. We see what we look after each other's back if terry's in trouble i'm right there if i'm in trouble terry's right there and that's why i think that we make such a good tag team thank you sir so i thought terry taylor in some of the recent promo stuff has been phenomenal and i think we may be able to guess where this possibly could be going um but yeah he is just i've never seen so much charisma in this guy when he was a baby face you know, I used to sort of make fun about this guy um, a little bit around, you know, who's actually supposed to like him in such a wet weekend. But um, he has turned it up a notch significantly. Um, and I'm really, really interested about what happens next with these guys. So that is basically it. Um, Sam Houston uh, and uh, Gilbert had a match um, where basically uh, Houston didn't win the title, predictably. Um, we had a scandal, Akbar promo on um, on Hayes and Badger, etc. But that's it. That is it. That is the end of uh, Bill Watts and UWF. Mark Dunderdale will be with me very, very shortly. Stay tuned for the May 2nd, 987 episode of Universal Wrestling Federation and a full segment by segment review.
welcome back to the show, Mark Dunderdown. Mark, on a scale of one to ten, with ten being more excited than you've ever been for anything in your life, how excited are you for AEW at Wembley Stadium? I'm an eight there and on a nine. Mm. Yeah. I would agree with you. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, I agree. It's It's not a ten. But it's about as it's about as excited as I remember ever feeling about a UK wrestling show. And actually, it's up there with can I say, you know, if we were going all together, because we're we're going together with what Callum, Lewis, Dan, who am I missing? Oh, and that, sorry. I hope I hope I'm very sorry, Ben, if you listen to this, that you were the <laughs> one's name I couldn't think of immediately. So I can only apologize. Um if the six of us were going away for it, I think I'd be maybe slightly more excited. But this is about as good as it gets in terms of domestic, I think, isn't it, really? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So what 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 do you want to see? Because this is going... We've just talked a lot fair about when this is going out. What do you want to see? What's yours? Have you got any dream matches, ideal main events? What have you got in mind? Because I think the thing for me is they've sold so many tickets that they kind of haven't got... Like, I'm sure they will put on a good card, but the tickets are sold now, aren't they? So um, I do wonder what we're going to end up getting, especially with allegedly a pay-per-view the week afterwards. Yeah, that... Both those things crossed my mind. The, the fact that it's already selling out with no matches announced, they can put on whatever they like now. But I think I don't think they'd risk putting on an inferior card for risk of, um, what's the expression, uh, destroying the town or whatever. Yeah. So next time they come back, they won't sell as many tickets. But then, yeah, all out been a week later. Are they going to save the big stuff for the pay-per-view or are they going to save the big stuff for the big crowd? It'll be interesting to find out when the time comes. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is what what does this what does this look like on television? Because I think there is a you know, apparently it's supposed to be a six pm start. Is this going to be broadcast live in the UK on free to air television like ITV Four or something? Can he do a deal with you know? I know ITV Four runs some strange stuff, but I'm sure they're you know Barrow and Weakfield and all these detective shows in the 90s actually draw I know my every time I go around my mum she seems to be watching one of these sort of shows so yeah. I don't think it's a you know for for ITV4 they can chuck on some rerun and do pretty good ratings but is that where we're ending up is you know is this going to be on free TV in the states I th- obviously the states is less important but you know what does that look like from a from a UK domestic point of view I, I know it's it sort of started already because the FA Cup semi-finals the other week had ad- advertisement boards at Wembley uh, promoting all in so that they've already started on the publicity this side of the pond and i'm sure closer to the time there'll be people on breakfast tv doing interviews and there'll be all that kind of stuff so yeah hopefully they, they go balls to the wall and put everything into it yeah i, hope they do. I mean I, I think it'd be worthwhile tony khan paying itv4 to have it on if he needs to um, and i don't know what that what that what that looks like um, but if yeah. you could do a largely commercial-free presentation, so you go to commercials during um, in between matches is fine, but you don't don't you don't cut into commercial. I think that would be phenomenal. So I asked you a question about matches, but then we never got there actually. So what was anything in mind that you've got? But I mean, I presume an MJF is still going to be champion, so perhaps a challenger for him. Omega, what what? I mean, I, I think we get Omega and Osprey at the next next Forbidden Door. So I'm not sure how you do that a third time so soon, but I suppose that is possible. Um, and or Omega and Okada is another one that intrigues me. Um, but I think they yeah. have a possibility. If they if they release if they put on a big card, I do think they've got a possibility of, of shifting another five to ten thousand seats at this place. So it's not completely unimportant in terms of what they've sold already. But there, you know, there is a possibility to do more. Yeah. Um, in terms of dream matches, I think Osprey's said himself that he, he 
he's on the card or he intends to be on the card, but AEW haven't confirmed that. Mm. Um, yeah, him in any kind of match, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Um, I'm a big FTR fan. Uh, I was hyping them up as the stars of 2022 in our year-end show, so seeing them defend the titles, I'll be happy with that. Uh, um, like you say, MJF, you've got to assume he's going to retain at double or nothing and uh, take it through, but we've got three months, so even if there's nothing on the boil now, they've got plenty of time to start something and get it just at the right heat point when uh, Wembley comes around. And there's one name that I should have mentioned before all others that I'll of now course, mention. Yeah, yeah. CM Punk. Yeah, he's going to be back, isn't he? So, well, the second coming, the yeah. second coming. Yeah, uh, very, very religious overtime. Whether he's going to be involved with the elite or whether they're going to be kept separate, that is the question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if it, in, I, I can't imagine it'll be Punk and Osprey, but I might have to get half and half shirt prepared for that if that's <laughs> that's the case. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. You, you, there's, there's, there is an argument that you could just do, and this is this is the way you do a, um, you can do a pay per view the week afterwards. You can almost make all in, not 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 canon because that isn't the right way of putting it. But you could just throw out some dream matches and just like we've sold all these yeah. tickets, we're just going to make this an unbelievable show. And you could do an Osprey versus Punk with you know very little, you know, very, very, what 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 promos you need to cut for that. Whereas at the at the the pay per view the week after it could be the quote unquote more serious stuff whether that's you know punk and something with the elite or whatever so there is a way of I think there is a way, and and I also think you can do a title match on our show and number one contenders match and then, and then you have the four of them talking in the build up to that in terms of you know the different combinations and that and then that leads into I don't think that's too complicated to, to achieve really so yeah I, th- I think history has shown he does pay respect to the to the new big crowds. Like the first mm. time they went to Arthur Ashe, straight away Danielson had just joined the company to put him in with Omega. Yeah. So first time in, in England, big crowd at Wembley. I think they're going to do huge, huge matches. But like you say, it might be something without the build and it's just a step, sort of a go-home show, if you like, for All Out. Yeah, I'd be a bit gutted. I, th- I think this, for the, for, the, for, the, for the kind of optics of the company, if they, especially if they can get this on you know, one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday on TBS or TNT with limited commercial interruptions with a huge crowd. I think they could draw, you know, the biggest TV ratings they've ever drawn yeah. um, for something like this. So we'll we'll see. Um, any more thoughts on RevPro at the moment? Uh, no, I think, was it Osprey and Shingo's been? Yes, now? yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite fancy that. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm holding off at the moment because I'm assuming... I think I said to you in the group text, I, I'm guessing it's going to be like a WrestleMania weekend thing with every wrestling company around London doing something because the place is going to be full, isn't it, of wrestling fans? So. Well, the, the thing I'm wondering about is they have a, t- a Saturday primetime two-hour live show that they, they, they're debuting on, I think, on June the 17th. So how do you get that? Do you get that in the can? Do you take Dynamite and Rampage on Wednesday and Thursday and Collision? Or do you do Collision at Wembley Arena? I mean, that's that's the one, you know, that's uh, what would I, you know, if in a perfect world and I was available that evening, what would I prefer to go to? AEW, Collision or the Rev Pro Show? I, I think maybe the Rev Pro Show. But the thing is, the Rev Pro yeah. Show, that is, that, is a, that is a great main event, but it isn't a new match. You know, that match has been best Super Juniors, um, 
they had an incredible match. I think you what did you did we talk about the Shingo and Will Ospreay? Not one? the Shingo one. I didn't watch that. No. no, so that's that's I can't remember when that was. It was still clap crowds at the time. So so it would have been sometime in 2021 when Osprey was champion. But that's a phenomenal, phenomenal match. I kind of feel like, yeah, it is great. It is really, really big match. The first time Shingo, I think, has ever worked Rev Pro, but it's not. But I, I guess, again, it's not going to be, it never could be much beyond that, I suppose, really, no. could it, really? So in terms of yeah, what they get exactly. and the stuff underneath it, I think will look like, um, you know, a standard York Hall show, I think, which is never a bad thing. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, anything else recent to talk about before we move on to the UWF? Not that I can think of. Uh, no, WWE's ticking along. I mean, that crowd at Backlash was incredible. I don't know if you watched it, but um, I'd, I'd put that as uh, my favourite show of the year so far. Oh, really? Wow. In all of wrestling, I think it was really good top to bottom. I'm just not really allowing myself to be heartbroken yeah. again by WWE. So I, I must be honest, I did watch a little bit of SmackDown on uh, whenever it was, Saturday some point, because I caught a bit of the, the Bloodline segment. So I did watch that, but I'm just like, I'm I'm just, they got me, they hooked me again. You know, I was, you know, already talking to Charlotte, oh, you know, we could, you know, we could visit your friend in New York and WrestleMania is only in <laughs> Philadelphia. And I'm thinking I'm just get sucked into the hole again. So yeah. um, I will, I will, Pay some attention to it, but I, I, I think with Vince around, it's always. I just feel like you're always going to get more downs than you are ups with it, and they're always going to disappoint you. And like the stuff around the world title, um, will you be watching the Saudi any of the Saudi show this coming weekend? Probably not. No, um, the matches don't don't draw me in really. And, and funnily enough, you mentioned the bloodline there on SmackDown. Of all WWE now, I think that's one of the things I've got least interest in. I mean, mm. Ro- Roman is now stone cold in terms of feuding with someone it's just tension with the other guys in his group uh so they might end up doing him versus one of the usos again which they did a couple of years ago but um i mean i said after montreal after um sammy lost his challenge of, of roman i said sammy was dead in the water then i know you were one of the ones who who was hoping at that point things would keep going and mm. went to wrestlemania but, I mean, for me, I didn't get drawn into that WrestleMania main event as much as others with the Usos versus Owens and Zayn because uh, I think the big thing was, can Sammy win the world title? I wasn't yeah. as interested about whether he could win the tag titles. And the fact that that's still going on, it happened at Backlash. Um, I, th- I think that, that thing's done now. They need to do something else. But like I say, Roman's, because he's been off TV most of the time since WrestleMania, um, he's got nothing going on at the moment. Well, and the thing is, if the destination for, let's say the destination for SummerSlam is Jay, that's okay, but Jay's not winning the title. No way, no oh. how. They're, they're yeah. not pulling the trigger on um, Sammy or Cody or Drew. I, I, know, I know Drew's a long time ago now, but they could have easily pulled the trigger on Drew back in Cardiff and, and whether that be a three-month title reign or whatever. But if you're not prepared to do that, Jay's not going to win and, you're, and we're just we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Miss this... Um, this world title thing is just, uh, you know, the whole thing is just a nonsense. SmackDown wrestlers in the tournament, but Roman Reigns is not in it. It's just, it's just totally, totally bizarre. Uh, and the yeah. belt is the belt the worst design yeah. world championship in the history of professional wrestling. It's definitely not the best, but I mean, I mean, like you say, that bringing in SmackDown wrestlers made it a secondary title, and they've already got the US title over there. So yeah, indeed. Yeah. Right, let's get away from. Uh, the well, I was about to say the World Wrestling Federation. Now, crikey, I'm 21 years out of date. And on to the Universal Wrestling Federation because this is a really interesting show that we're about to move on to. 
Um, and this aired on May the 2nd, 1987. And this was the first television episode taped after the sale. So this would have been, so Bill Watts wouldn't have been at this taping. This would have been Crockett representatives. I have looked at uh, a kind listener provided me with um, some PDF copies of Wrestling Observers from around this time. Um, thank you very much to him. Um, whose name I've forgotten. So you know who you are. But there's not much in there about this sale. So there's no, there's no, you know, you can imagine if this was now that you do have all the inside information around this person was running the show. This was, so there's no, I don't know anything around, you know, what was going on. But Bill Watts, I know, was not there. Um, and this started, this um, this show started with a video package to hype up the one-man gang's UWF heavyweight title defense against Big Bubba Rogers. And it, it was set to Sammy Hager's Winner take it all. So this was from the Sylvester Stallone, um, Sylvester Stallone over the top film about arm wrestling. Is this one that you are you finding this on your shelf as I'm talking about? It is it? on my shelf somewhere. Yeah. I just can't see it now. Yeah, I've seen it. It's uh, it's not among Sly's best work, but it is what it is. Terry Funk was in it, so it's got a wrestling. Oh, really? I've only yeah. seen it once, but I don't know if you, you're the same. But I feel like I can't. If I've only seen a film once, it doesn't really take a place in my memory banks. Really? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I'm like that. Yeah. So I, I just remember that he Sylvester Stone was a trucker in it, and he used to do like arm curls in the truck, didn't he? I think was the thing. That's right. Know, some yeah, sort of like sure. yeah, weight sort of system. Um, so this show was coming from Muskogee, Oklahoma. Um, it's interesting to think, you know, what what must the atmosphere have been like without Bill sort of leading the you know leading the charge? Um, and Jim, but Jim Ross was there, and he introduced John Ayres, who I didn't know uh, prior to this, um, and he said we'd see one of the biggest matches ever. Uh, Ross then introduced Ayers, who was a former NFL uh, player and winner of the Super Bowl twice. And he was the new commissioner of the UWF. And the match sign was the one-man gang versus Big Bubba Rogers, uh, the future big boss man, and uh, one-man gang's future tag team partner in WF as well, which uh, came to me while these two were having a match. Um, so Rogers had been working for Crockett under the Mid-Atlantic banner prior to coming into the UWF in mid-April. Um, Eddie Gilbert came out and cut a surprisingly baby-faced promo that I found really, really odd because um, there was no turn at this point that I'd seen anyway, um, basically saying how much he was looking forward to this match and he, how he tried to shake Bubba's hand. He wouldn't do it. This is really strange. What do you think of this whole opening, including the, the video package for One Man Gang? Yeah, the, the video package was just seven or eight different versions of his 747 splash. There was a couple of them coming off the second turnbuckle and, and there was a caption that read, the Universal Champion defends his title. So I thought that's a, that was a good start to the show. Um, you mentioned the song that played over it. That was by um, Sammy Hagar, and it was a brand new song. The film only came out in February of 87, so they were up to date with the music choice there. And um, I believe Sammy Hagar was also a tongue-in-cheek nickname of an AEW tag team a couple of years ago when Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager teamed up. Ah, um, yes. By the way, by the magic of editing, you'll have heard that song just before Mark comes in, so you can go back and listen to it again. Now you know what uh, what it was. Yeah, um, the first thing that comes to mind when they announced the match was uh, presumably it's heel versus heel, and that was very unusual for the time to see it on TV in a world title match. Uh, I think it'd still be unusual now, actually. Um, yeah. The, the earliest high-profile one I could think of was Shawn Michaels and Rick Martell at SummerSlam 92. I can't think of many in WWE before that time. No. So this was sort of ahead of its time. And, and I did make a note, like you said, about Eddie Gilbert... Um, he magically appeared at ringside. There was a very quick cut, but then uh, he seemed to be acting a bit more baby-faced than usual. And I, I wondered if I'd missed some turn somewhere. 
No, I, I don't think so. So this this show did lead into the one um, the last week. So there's not a gap. So I, yeah, I, I, unless it, unless it happened on Power Pro Wrestling, but I, it's just it just felt very very strange. Or whether you know, I could always almost imagine someone coming in and just saying, "Oh, we want you know, we want, need some babyface here. We're just going to turn yeah. Eddie, and this is going to be the start of it." Um, but you know, you're absolutely right about the the, the heel versus heel. Um, and I didn't think Rogers got a particularly big response. Um, but I, but I also wondered whether people didn't really know who he was. Um, yeah, because, he brand new to the territory, wasn't he? Yeah, because I, 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 you know, they would have people with the. I'm guessing by this time most people would have have, have had the Superstation, so they've had access to. I'm not even sure it'd be called WCW Saturday Night at that time, but some sort of wrestling on Saturday Night. Um, but how much this guy would have been featured, I think, you know, it's potentially limited before this. Um, I think my, he first came on my radar, not at the time, but the earliest I've seen of Big Bubba was um, in 86. He was still just um, Jim Cornette's bodyguard. Yes. He, he was like a second for Jim Cornette wrestler matches, Midnight Express or whoever. So as far as him being an active wrestler, I don't know how long he'd been a big deal elsewhere, but he was certainly brand new to the UWF. Was he involved in one of the, those famous scaffold matches? Yeah, the one where um, Cornette was the one who took the bump and he was yeah. supposed to catch him. He didn't, and Cornette blew out both his knees. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, he yeah. missed a lot of time through that. Yes, yeah, scaffold matches are not the one. Um, Ross, as you'd expect, was at his brilliant best putting over how big of a deal this was. Uh, and the crowd did get into it as these two huge guys tried and failed to not one, one and over another. Crikey, one another over. And as you mentioned, Ross did actually say on commentary that Bubba had been the bodyguard of Jim Cornette and also done some mercenary work for JJ Dillon and the Four Horsemen. Um, so, you know, as we've said, it, Ross clearly alluding to a checkered past and out and out pretty much positioning him as a heel. Uh, Bubba was busted open just under three minutes in, but fought back as the crowd got more into him. Um, Bubba actually hit an Inseguri, which was pretty impressive. Um, gang then also bled just over five minutes in. I wonder what people would think about this blood on a Saturday lunchtime with their kids because it's a bit nuts, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it, like you say, the the TV spot it had, it was unusual to go that far in the yeah. daytime. Well, uh, yeah, and certainly there, there were, times have been different all over the place. But in their traditional markets, this is you know this is a Saturday morning show. Uh, they went to break just under six minutes. Uh, we got a French rope bracelet and then a grating insert primer with the now former tag team champions, Adams and Taylor. This is really interesting, actually. So while I, I don't want to pay too much attention to this while the match is going on, um, basically Adams and Taylor had lost to Steiner and Sting in the Omni in controversial circumstances. Ross said he was sorry it had happened, but there must be de better days ahead. Taylor then said quite brilliantly that he didn't hold it against Adams that he got pinned. It happens to everyone. Adams said he wanted to ask a question. They've always had each other's backs and interests and he still doesn't know why they lost. He thinks they should go over the match. He doesn't want to, things to slide or, or you know them to fall out. And Taylor said he doesn't hold it against him. It's in the past and they have to move forward. Uh, and Taylor said they were just going to spice it up going forward. A bit of singles and a bit of tags. And I can't stress how good Terry Taylor was here. Um, it's like he's had a personality transplant from some of the kind of cheesy babyface promos he used to cut. Uh, what did you think of these two here? Yeah, I, I enjoyed this uh, for the same reason you did. Um, I thought it was terrible timing cutting away from a dramatic championship match to do this. But, yeah, uh, they did that, so fair enough. But I've always uh, I've always liked a well executed slow burn tag team split um, where the dynamic between the partners becomes a little off and. They're trying to act like everything's fine, but you just know one of them is eventually going to turn on the other. And 
Uh, I remember the Rockers doing that in a storyline over a few months in 1991. Edge and Christian did it 10 years later and um, there's been others beside. So, I, yeah, I, I think Taylor was, was really on form with acting like everything's fine, but you can see through it. Yes, absolutely. Um, back to the match. Skandar made his way to ringside as Ross questioned why he wasn't out there earlier. Um, Gang sounded like he'd half killed Bubba at the nine-minute mark with a huge clothesline before he went up to the second rope and then missed a splash by about half an hour. Um, the referee was somehow bumped during this. Uh, Rogers then hit an illegal splash off the top rope for the win and new champion... And, and Crikey, I've completely botched the most important thing of the whole thing there. Rogers hit an illegal splash off the top rope for the win and has become new champion in just over 10 minutes of TV time. The crowd erupted for this um, as Ross talked about him winning the most coveted title in wrestling today. Um, some of the work left a lot to be desired, uh, but this did feel like a little bit of history right here in the opening match of the Crockett UWF era. Um, and this was almost it for the one-man gang in the UWF as he would debut in the World Wrestling Federation a mere 10 days after this title change aired. What did you think of this title match and the switch here? I actually really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than you did. I, I would, first of all, I was surprised to see it going on first at the start of the show. Um, in the introductions, Big Bubba was announced as being 350 pounds, but when you saw them face-to-face, they looked to be very close in size. So I don't think uh, One Man Gang was the 500 pounds that he was claimed to be 150 pound weight difference that looked about the same to me um there was parts where i, I mean i like the look of shock and confusion on one man gang's face early on when rogers barely moved after um being hit with a running shoulder block because pretty much everyone else one man gang had hit with that move previously it had gone down like a sack of spuds and and he held his own there so i enjoyed it uh there was the double blood like you say but just before cutting away to commercial um Skandar Akbar was up on the apron, which we'll, we'll get to that in uh, towards the end of the show. There's more involving him. I was a bit confused about what role he was playing in this match. Um, the only part I, I didn't like was when One Man Gang was stuck in the ropes. Uh, that's when Big Bubba suddenly lost his intensity and urgency. And I assume he was a bit blown up because he started taking very long pauses between his shots. But um yeah, big finish. You, you don't see many 300-plus pounders coming off the top rope now, let alone 36 years ago. Um, so I enjoyed it, but I could have done without them breaking it up with a uh, Terry Taylor and Chris Adams promo. Yes. After the break, Ross talks about the tag title change again, and then we got some nice footage uh, of this filmed on a hard camera. Now, was this Joel, Joel Watts on commentary here or not? I think it was Joel. Not. And it was Joel. I, th- I think it was, and it sounded... Yeah recorded after the fact it certainly wasn't live commentary okay so we got quite a bit from this match um sting kicked out of being run into the tag title belt inversely being held by eddie gilbert and eventually they did the rick rude ultimate warrior wrestlemania finish kind wrestlemania five finish kind of sort of um gilbert held on to adam's legs and went for a suplex on sting taylor and steiner were fighting on the apron and in that motion Adam's leg got knocked off the rope, so the ref conti- continued to count the fall basically and afterwards taylor looked like he couldn't believe it um, back on the show, the former champs came out for a match with Bob Bradley and the Red Devil, uh, clearly a Manchester United fan, so boo to him. Um, Bob Bradley had some lovely animal print pants on for this huge encounter. Uh, Adams drilled the devil in three minutes and then Taylor called for the tag. He hit a knee drop and then got the pin and gave Adams a huge high five. Uh, and Taylor's over-the-top mannerisms and celebrating were great here. Uh, what did you think of this? Um, actually, Joe, you know what? I'm going to go through and, and talk about the promo, actually, because... 
this is essentially a kind of retrade um, of what had happened a little bit earlier on. So after the break, uh, this time Ross was with Taylor Adams at ringside. Ross said there were lots of un unanswered questions from the videotape. Uh, and Taylor said he wasn't mad at Adams at loss. Very similar to this insert promo earlier on. Um, and those, I've said it on the, on, the, on the show before, but those were largely used in markets where they weren't promoting live events, but they had extra time. Um, Taylor said at the end of this one that he felt people were pushing him a bit and it was time to move on. He said goodbye to Jim and the people, which was great. Adam said he still doesn't know what happened. Perhaps he should watch the tape. Uh, Adam said he wishes Terry was there so they could discuss it in front of everyone. What did you think of the match and this follow-up here? Um, well, getting back to where we saw footage of when they won the tag titles, uh, I, I made a note exactly the same as you. It's the same finish WWE had used two years later with the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. Um, obviously, something that was noted at the time and somebody had the bright idea to use it at WrestleMania. Um, I always thought it was quite a weak finish on Warrior, that one. Kind of, but I mean, Heenan held on to the leg, didn't he? It wasn't like yeah. he tricked him and then let him lay there. He was holding him down. So, yeah, sort of. But the interesting thing was it was um, Eddie Gilbert doing the Heenan role there. So he was still very much a heel as far as that match went. Yeah. Uh, despite what we saw earlier. Um, there was no obvious signs of dissension in the match between uh, Adams and Taylor, but it was interesting that. Adams pretty much had the match won with a super kick and then Terry tagged himself in to get the pin himself after a knee drop. So, like I said earlier, I'm enjoying the slow burn on that one. And then um, in the promo, like you said, he Terry Taylor repeated the line he used earlier where he told him he's not mad at him for getting pinned. And he very politely told Adams he wants to go in a different direction and, and walked off before Adams had a chance to even respond. So, <laughs> I liked it. Uh, Chris Adams looked frustrated because he wanted to discuss what had gone wrong in their uh, title loss, uh, but Terry didn't give him a chance. I liked it. Indeed. Uh, a real treat up next, Steve Cox versus the Super Ninja. Um, Cox actually hit quite a nice little roll-up in this, and then won via a Russian leg sweep, which Ross called a side suplex. Um, I've got nothing else on this. Anything else to add on this uh, short encounter between Cox and the Super Ninja, or not-so-Super Ninja? Uh, well, two of the three shows I reviewed from with you from March 1987 included Steve Cox and Super Ninja. So, lucky us, we've got it again <laughs> here. Um, and it was pretty much the same match we'd reviewed once before where um, Super Ninja beats up the Russian sensation until he ducks a clothesline and hits the Russian leg sweep. And that was that. Yeah, I don't really know why they continue on with this. And I, and I know that I've seen this before, but not quite, perhaps quite as many times as that. Um Back from the break, Ross, who was at ringside during this show, recapped the Gary Young and Chavo feud. Uh, we got some footage of Young and Jeff Rapes from Power Pro Wrestling. Um, the match ended with Rapes getting his head run into the ring post while the ref was down. And then Young hit a splash on him from the top rope until Chavo got in there. He elbowed Gary Young and Rapes pinned him uh, for the three sort of, even though Young kicked out, I thought, really. Um, and then next, we got some Chavo versus Super Ninja which predictably Young tried to interfere, but his impressive-looking, almost frog-splash-esque knee drop went wrong as Chavo moved, and the ninja was on the end of this knee drop. This feud is not doing anything for me at all. Chavo's promos most of the time are pretty rotten. Um, I just kind of want them to move away from this. Um, anything to add on this, uh, this sort of two-match sort of segment here in terms of highlights and past stuff? Yeah, I didn't like it either. Both of the referee bumps in both of the matches were just really, really bad, really. Um, I mean, like like you often say on Twitter, make it make sense. The one, in, particularly in the Chavo Guerrero match, he perched himself on the middle rope and then the referee 
suddenly uh, moved himself into the line of fire and Chavo hit a back elbow on him, knocking him down. Um, I did like how the, the good guy, Chavo Guerrero, outsmarted the heel Young uh, that time, though, as um, Young had tried to do the same as Chavo did by interfering while the referee was down. But Chavo managed to avoid the top rope knee drop, sent Young out of the ring long enough to revive the referee and get the pinfall. So the good guy wins out in the end. Indeed. And we got more Chavo next. This is Mike Boyette. Uh, and Ross said that he'd been shaking for minutes about the UWF title change. And he said, we've got a new champion, as they say. Uh, and, Ro- and Chavo won this match and the overhead is kind of deadlift overhead, overhead belly to belly, which is always looking impressive, always looks impressive, I think. Um, a few nice moments, but again, this didn't do a lot for me. Uh, what did you make of Chavo versus Mike Boyette and Boyette's yeah. exceptional hair? <laughs> well, last time um, I was reviewing shows with you from March of 87, uh, the Californian hippie was part of Hot Stuff and High International and he'd lost a few matches at that time. So I was quite tickled to hear Jim Ross mention his win-loss record. Yes. A perfect win-loss record. <laughs> it's zero in a bunch. I said I like that. Um, yeah, there's not much to the match, uh, but Chavo looked looked fairly smooth as he always does. And yeah, that finisher, like you said, the overhead belly to belly. I think I like it because it starts out as a bear hug, so he's got him off the ground. He holds yeah. it, and then he he goes back with it. it so I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Chavo's finish is very good. Uh, Eddie Gilbert was with Ross, uh, and Gilbert said that he would love to be called UWF World Champion in the future, or even be associated with that person. He said Rogers came in out of nowhere and became champion. He said it was because of one man, Skandar Akbar. He led one man to title when they get a little dusty, too old to cut the mustard. He went and, and he went and got Bubba. So basically, Rogers is aligned with Skandar here. But I didn't think this was clear earlier on. Um, and I thought it was a little bit too long, albeit Eddie Gilbert's very good. What did you think of this? Did I miss something? I know Skandar came out, but it didn't feel like it was clear link between Bubba and Skandar at that point. Whereas this has been alluded to in this, this insert promo. No, I was exactly the same as you. Um, it, it said, it talked about Bubba, uh, Akbar had helped Bubba win the title uh, and he had his reasons for doing so. But it wasn't apparent to me when it happened. Like I said earlier, we saw Akbar climb on the ring coming straight out of the commercial break. So I couldn't tell whether one man gang was on top or Bubba was on top at the time Akbar decided to interfere. So his intentions weren't clear, like I said. And, and I guess that was the point of this interview. They're telling us viewers how things stand and ev- and with everyone involved. So it sort of served its purpose, this promo. Um, Eddie Gilbert wondered if Big Bubba would be able to stand up to Dr. Death or Ted DiBiase, which, like his earlier promo, got me wondering if he's now a babyface, big enough guys on that side of the uh, fence. Uh, there was no mention of Hyatt and Hot Stuff International or anything like that. He was just playing a role of a colour commentator more than a leader of a heel faction. Yeah, and this this promotion is really babyface light at this point. They've turned the Freebirds to, to feud with Scandal, but I, I believe around this time the Freebirds aren't around quite as much. Um, but yeah, I, I, perhaps that's where they're going with, with with Eddie. I'm interested to see what happens with Sting because he, um, you know, I, I believe he ends this 87 as a babyface, but I'm not completely sure. But that is one sort of story to come I'm interested in. And speaking of Sting, he was in action next along with Rick Steiner versus Jeff Rates and Mike Reed. Uh, Ross said he'd been handed a note to say he should report to the dressing room. Um, Jim Ross, you know, big fan of his his work, particularly in this time, but I just don't think he was anywhere near as good without someone to play off. Um, and I don't think doing commentary alone was necessarily a strength of his. Um, shockingly, the tag team champions, uh, Steiner and Sting here, 
one with a double team move. I couldn't be bothered to go back and try and explain in 90 seconds. Uh, did you? Could you explain this move that won in the match? I certainly could. Uh, Sting had his opponent in an over-the-shoulder backbreaker and held him there while Rick Steiner hit an elbow off the middle rope, uh, knocking him down to the canvas. Okay, so it's kind of similar to Demolition's old finisher. But... Yeah, I like theirs, but over the shoulder instead of over the knee. Over the knee. Interesting. Uh, any anything else to add on this match? I mean, it's difficult. No, in Ninety I, seconds. That really. was the only note I made, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> the, the finishing move. So backstage, Ross was with Bubba and Skandar. And Skandar said that from time to time, you have complacency and devastation. You get your walking papers. He said the gang had got lazy, and he'd paid a big premium for Bubba. And with it, whether it be Doctor Death or Ted Debussy, he would gladly oblige. I felt like I was going mad here, as we've already talked about, because, and I actually even went back to, to look at the end of the match um, because there wasn't anything. So this was the reveal, really. Uh, even though, you know, if you're in certain markets and you've got the Eddie Gilbert promo, you'd have known about this already. Um, what did you think of Skandar here and the kind of explanation around goodbye, one man gang, hello, big Bubba Rogers? I've said before about Akbar, I'm not a fan at all, and I never was. I don't know if he. About I don't know much about his work in world class or anywhere else, but when I see him in UWF, it's it's changed the channel stuff for me. Um, Jim Ross even attempted to ask Big Bubba a question, but Akbar uh, said he would do the talking for him, which was a shame. Um, yeah. So yeah, it didn't do anything. I think it didn't really give us any new information that we hadn't already got from the Eddie Gilbert promo. No, and I think it's probably you know the, the start of this show was obviously. Very historical, um, and I, you know, I, 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 you probably enjoyed it a little bit more than me, but I didn't not enjoy it. I thought, you know, it was, it was, it was fine, um, but it does feel like this is a bit of a mess. Two episodes before this, there wasn't much going on at all. They're, they're you know, it's recapped. It's the Charvo feud. And it's just things that are not the best thing on the show by a million miles at the moment. Is Terry Taylor and that and that ongoing storyline? But I do wonder. We've got six. There's sixteen more episodes that are available of this now, um, and I do kind of wonder what we're going to get. And I'm almost looking forward to. I am looking forward to seeing more of the NWA and Crockett guys coming in, and maybe a bit of their television around that time and sort of how they worked it. Because aside from the title change, I, d I didn't think all that much of this um, this episode really. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this May the second, 1987 episode of the Universal Wrestling Federation? Uh, well. Before I get to the final thoughts, you missed off a part that followed the uh, Skandar Akbar promo where Jim Ross mentioned a big return in two weeks' time to the territory. Did you catch that? Uh, I don't think I did. What? Who was the big return? Magnum TA will be back. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I just didn't bother writing it down. So Magnum is back to do commentary. I did wonder. I, it, all he said was he will be here appear, appearing live. So I know he, he hadn't wrestled since the accident in October '86. So I didn't know what he was going to do. I know he did commentary for the NWA, but that's what he was back for then, was it? Just to do. I the... believe so, and I think possibly maybe commissioner type roles because I don't think this guy airs last at all. But I could I could be wrong about that. I don't want to look too far ahead because I did see a. Uh, if you on the on the YouTube list, you the, the picture of the episode, you can kind of pick, oh, okay. pick apart some spoilers of that, um, yeah. particularly on one person we've mentioned during the course of this episode. But I guess people can probably guess that. Terry Taylor's not going to be a, a, a um, knight in shining armor for too much longer. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, Magnum will be good. But it is, you know, we are, you know, we're well and truly in the final countdown now. We're beyond what we've seen this promotion try and, you know, try and expand. And I guess they, they've they got an incredible television syndication network at this point. But 
in terms of box office and key markets is just not working. Um, some of that's economy. Some of that is products. And, I, you know, I think that that is just the way it is. And they, and they are all over the place in terms of their touring schedule now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's going to be a bit of an odd. I th- I'm hoping there's enough good stuff remaining to make these episodes worthwhile. But these last yeah, I mean, three have been a bit challenging. I do like this Terry Taylor and Chris Adams thing that's playing out. And I think that that might carry a few episodes coming up uh, mm. once, it, once it happens. I, like I said earlier, I did enjoy the title match. I mean, Big Boss Man was was a great wrestler, sort of 1990, 91 time. So it'll be interesting to see what he's what he puts on as world champion um, going forward. And I mean, look, looking at the whole roster, the people that are on this show, I mean, it, it's a group of young stars who are way, way on the way up as opposed to on the way down. I mean, in the main event, One Man Gang was 27, Big Bubba wow. was 24. Eddie Gilbert was 25 years old, Dr. Death, 26, Terry Taylor, 31, Chris Adams, 32, Sting, 28, Rick Steiner, mm-hmm. 26, Steve Cox, 28, even Jim Ross was 35 on commentary. So Blimey. It, yeah, it's it was, nuts, it isn't it? It was a company with a hell of a lot of potential. And like you said, it's just a shame how circumstances changed and and that was that. Absolutely. Any other final thoughts before we get on out of here, Mark? No, that was it. Um, yeah, like I say, with the Taylor and Adams thing playing out, you've got a new world champion and Magnum's coming back. I thought things were looking pretty healthy. Yeah, <laughs> you're positive, because I seem to be <laughs> negative for some reason. But it's it's all good. It's all good. Uh, keep your eye on our socials for details of our next show. And that is it for UWF The Final Year, Episode 5. Thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you all again very, very soon. Hello, everybody. I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. And if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's Number One Mid-South Wrestling Podcast, check it out, all the products. That's on redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. They have everything from T-shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid-south moments.